Looking back on 40 years of alternative music. It's the Roots of Alternative podcast with Jack and Dixon for 95X. Hello and welcome back to the Roots of Alternative podcast, your look back at the last 40 years of alternative music. What a ride it's been. My name is Jack and we are joined by our pal Dixon. How are you doing today, man? Great. How are you, fella? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I think we have, I want to say, all right, I guess maybe this is just my bias. I think we have reached uh, a high point. Uh, in this decade. I think we're at that high point now. Um, I don't know if you agree with that or not, because the early 90s were were still really good too. But like this is this is the, the time of the decade that I remember growing up and listening to a lot of these songs. It's coming back to me as we take a look at 1998. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense based on your age. I mean, uh, you would have turned eight this year. Yep. In 1998. Yep. Uh, whereas I was 25, working in the music industry, uh, doing a lot of stuff with a lot of the bands that uh, we'll talk about probably over the next five to six weeks. Yeah, man. Um, so I'm super excited to be talking about this uh, week in particular. And actually, it's funny. So when I looked up all the songs uh, from 1998, I'm looking at them and I, I didn't think there were a ton that really kind of stood out to me that I was super excited about, but as I like started prepping for the show and writing down all my notes, I've got like a laundry list <laughs> of songs that I want to talk about. They're like, oh my gosh, I love that song. Oh my gosh, that's such a good one. So we're going to get into yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some stuff from 1998 that I've heard enough of. If I never heard it again, <laughs> I'd be cool with it if we're being honest. But by the same token... Man, a few of the things that flew under the radar, uh, some bands that we've previously talked about put out some very underrated hits this year. Uh, I think we dive right in. Yeah. Um, You know, before we get into it, um, first of all, as as always, you know, we always mention um, uh, if this is your first time listening, thank you. If you've been a a listener to the show, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We appreciate, uh, you know, all the comments we've been getting. Um, all the great feedback. Um, and, uh, you know, you can always catch up on your past, uh, our past episodes too. If you haven't uh, listened and this is your first time, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 95x.com. We've got everything right there. And also on our show page at 95x.com, uh, we have, when we post each week, uh, a page with bonus content as well. So we may talk about some things like Uh, Like last week, we had an interview that Dixon did with Stephen Jenkins of Third Eye Blind uh, that we tied in and talked about. That is up there. So every week, make sure you check our our, uh, website, 95x.com slash Roots of Alternative for some extra bonus content um, as well. I also want to mention too, so I was watching The Crown last week, which by the way, I just finished season four (laughs) of The Crown. If you have not watched The Crown, I highly recommend it. They just got nominated for a bunch of... uh, uh, what are those? Like Golden Globes, I think is what it was. They've been going through in season four, they've been going through the 80s. So we've been hearing a lot of uh, musical selections and stuff that we've talked about on the podcast. The other day I was watching the episode, I heard some Joy Division in there. I heard the specials, which yep. uh, was kind of the start of Ska, as we talked about. Um, of course, heard some great stuff from The Cure, 
and the English beat was in there as well. So, um, you know, it's fun for me being able to now watch these shows from that, you know, that time. Uh, I apologize to anybody who's, you know, lived through that time, you Dixon. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's cool to, to understand and, and know what these songs are. So uh, without further ado, what do you say we get into it? 1998 is the year that we are looking at. And as we always do, we like to look at what happened in the world during that year. So let's take a step back in time, talk a little history and see what happened in the year 1998. All right. Well, in 1998, we had the Winter Olympic Games. Those were held in Nagano, Japan. France won the World Cup, which was hosted that year in France. Uh, in addition to that, Windows 98 was released by Microsoft. And since Microsoft is right on the tip of my tongue, we should also mention that the United States Department of Justice brought an antitrust case against Microsoft in 1998. Um, the search engine that we all know and love, Google, was founded in 1998. Uh, 19 European nations came together to forbid human cloning after that experiment with Dolly the Sheep. Oh, I remember uh, that. <laughs> and uh, two things were invented that, in my opinion, kind of changed the world in 1998. The first, I think, is going to touch you very deep in your soul, Jack. Oh, that okay. was when Apple unveiled the iMac. Oh yeah! Wait a minute. That was the that was the colorful, the color. The, yeah, the colorful it was, it was an all in yes. one. There was no tower. Everything was encompassed right within that with that the the TV basically. I do remember and that. the other invention. Yeah. They, they they just yeah. looked so futuristic. I loved it. I loved. It. I still have one. I still have my iBook, my original iBook. Dude, that thing could be worth some money. Yeah, it's pretty beat up. It's got stickers all over it, but it's, it's, you know, it's like, you know, from, from the, the generational standpoint, it's like my diary that I'm not going to throw away from that period of my life. There you go. It's all on that iMac. Uh, and then of course, many men, very thankful that the FDA approved Viagra <laughs> as a treatment for male impotence, becoming the first pill to be approved to treat ED in the United States in 1998. Uh, the big movies from 1998, yeah, I don't know that there was a lot of big ones. Titanic, of course, obviously a, a huge lasting impact along with uh, a great comedy lineup, including uh, There's Something About Mary, the original Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy, uh, and The Wedding Singer, uh, a classic with Adam Sandler as well. That's so funny you mentioned that because uh, my wife's been uh, having Comedy Central on just in the background for the last week, and that song has been literally playing nonstop. Like it'll stop playing and it'll, it'll start playing again. It's just, I feel like that's all they've been playing on comedy central for the last week. Wouldn't surprise me if they were doing like an Adam Sandler marathon of some sort. Could be. I do have to mention too, there was, because you've mentioned these before, I'm surprised you missed this one, Dixon. There was another movie that came out in 1998. That is one of my favorites. Of course, you're probably thinking, yes, it's another Star Trek movie, Star Trek Insurrection came out in 1998. Uh, yep. Well, just so you're that aware, a good the, one. The, my source for this only lists the box office successes. Uh, okay, so if you're listening to this and you're a Star Trek fan, you no doubt know, and even if, all right, so if you don't, I guess I should explain it. There is uh, this thing amongst fans that say all the odd-numbered movies were horrible. 
and that was an odd numbered movie. Quite frankly, I thought it was one of the best ones. So you can fight me hey on man, that I, if you disagree with me. I'm just simply saying that it didn't get mentioned because it didn't sell tickets. That's all. That's no. all. Uh, okay. Whatever. Well, let's move on to the let's move on to the music. And uh, usually you ask me, but I'm going to ask you this week. What do you want to start with? What was your favorite song from 1998? Because now that we're about halfway through this journey, I want to see where your point of view is. Yeah, you know, the, the, the tides are starting to turn because, you know, like I said, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm starting to remember a lot of this stuff, either from the actual time or uh, hearing it, uh, you know, as an adult. Um, and I got to start with the Goo Goo Dolls. Dizzy Up the Girl came I, out in 1998. I, I, you probably knew I was going to say that. Oh, I certainly did. I certainly did. <laughs> I got to start with the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, of course, the biggest song, Iris, which was in the film uh, with Nicolas Cage. And who else was it? Um, Nicolas Cage. I keep wanting to say Meg Ryan, but I, she was in You've Got Mail. That also came out in 1998, I think. Yeah, it was Meg Ryan. Yeah. Rachel just literally just texted me. It was Meg Ryan. <laughs> There you uh, go. So yeah, uh, City of Angels, uh, of course, the song he wrote for the movie. Uh, he, I've watched so many documentaries about this, um, interviews with him. You know, he was at a point where it's like, you know, he was coming off the success of Name uh, and needed something big, and this song just came to him. Um, and of course, it became a hit. And this was really a big turning point for the band too, because they went from those that that punk sound to uh, you know as he puts it as Johnny Resnick put it I think like hearing a, a whole orchestra playing part of that song it was a huge turning point for the band. Yeah, I mean those Buffalo Boys. Uh, I mean there's there's a soft spot for me with them, but if uh, if we're being completely honest, if you <laughs> had on, to play it on, on me, they're in the category of I don't hear it again for a while i'm cool but here's what i'll say dizzy is phenomenal i love that song i think it could have been a much bigger hit than it was it should have been and for me like what i really like about the goo dolls is i think the opposite of what you like because i like their stuff that still has a little bit of drive to it like long way down or mm. dizzy mm -hmm. are the songs that i gravitate towards when i feel like listening to the Goo Goo Dolls. It's never Name or Iris or any of the like Black Balloon stuff. Like I just, I just, I just don't. I got enough of that back then because it was overplayed that I just don't need to hear it again. Where Dizzy, if you played that song for me right now, I'd probably dance around a little bit. I love the guitar riff. It's great. Yeah. I, you know, I think that was the first song on the album too. And it was a great way to start out the album. Uh, I do have to mention too, and we'll move on to the next artist. I promise I won't spend too much time with them. Um, but we did attend their, uh, Rachel and I, my wife, we attended their uh, 20th anniversary tour when we were living in San Diego. And it was pretty great. Uh, we saw them at House of Blues, uh, very small venue. Uh, and I, I think one of the coolest things about it was uh, Johnny Resnick uh, had like, he was out there playing and next to him was like, a video screen, but you couldn't really tell that it was a video screen, but it was, it was a video of him and Johnny was talking to himself and playing guitar with himself, if that makes sense. 
up on stage. It was, it was pretty entertaining. And I wore my Buffalo Sabres jersey while I was there because, you know, they're from Buffalo. And he saw it and uh, pointed me on the crowd. And uh, that was cool. So <laughs> that oh, was my Jack. moment with Johnny Resnick. Right on. Well, here's a question for you. Yes. Uh, what was the theme song to your high school prom or potentially the theme for any of your four years that you were in high school for your yearbook? Could it have been 1998's smash hit that was everywhere and still is, Time of Your Life, Good Riddance from Green mm. Day? Well, I wasn't in high school in 1998. However, I do remember that song was very popular when I was in high school uh, in, well, 2000. I mean, that was just a very popular song for a long time. Actually, I, I was surprised to learn that that song came out in 1998. I never really thought of it, but I do remember hearing that song a lot when I was in high school, 2005 to 2008. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, and here's what I'll say, because I'm, again, Green Day, I'm tired of it. I don't need to hear Dookie ever again. I don't need to hear Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Give me this one, because this one I, I can listen to over and over again and not get sick mm -hmm. of. Is it a little sappy? Yeah. Has it been used in a million things? Sure. But at the end of the day, it's two minutes and 24 seconds, and it evokes nostalgia, where mm -hmm. a lot of their other stuff just makes me groan. Like, I would love to hear this more. I would love to hear Jaded more. I would love to hear Oh Love more. Like, when I come around and Brain Stew and Basket Case and Boulevard are all just so played out. Like, I think we, we, we forget how many truly great songs. Uh, like, Hitching a Ride was the first single off of Nimrod, the album that, that Time of Your Life comes from. And it was just so overlooked. I mean, there's 21 Guns is another example of one of Green Day's best songs that just doesn't get the attention. And I don't get it, but Green Day uh, definitely wrote and released a timeless track in 1998 with Time of Your Life. Um, do you want to you go controversial right off the bat? Yeah, let's do it. Or do, do you want me to, to, to save? Okay. Let's so, go controversial. Okay. So, all right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go controversial and then hot take. So controversial. Celebrity skin was released by Hole. So, as the story goes, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins co-wrote or wrote the majority of the tracks on this record. But by the same token, there are some, myself included that hear an awful lot of Kurt Cobain through a bunch of these songs. And there has been the thought process that Kurt may have left behind some song fragments or ideas that became part of this record hmm. and he was not credited for. Specifically, the hit single and title track, Celebrity Skin. Really? Yeah. Now here's the thing. Uh, I, uh, you know, I think that Courtney had something, if not everything to do with what happened to Kurt. There, there's too, there's too much. Yeah. Now we're getting into in controversial territory. Yeah. So, <laughs> so watch soaked in bleach, watch, uh, Kurt and Courtney, watch these documentaries and, and maybe you'll come around and I'm not much of a conspiracy theory guy. Um, but I begrudge Courtney love her career. She, uh, 
And uh, I don't like, uh, she is a uh, star F word ER. Uh, you know what I mean? Like she, she's everything that she claims she wasn't. Um, she's an attention whore. You know what I mean? Like, am I saying that there's no talent there? By no means. She obviously is a charismatic and enigmatic person. Um, but I don't know. I've seen her live more times than I, than I care to admit to, uh, in person and on video. And it's just not good. I don't see it. Um, and, and the fact that like, you know, and you can hear the Billy Corgan all over single number two, which was Malibu. You can tell that that's a Billy Corgan song. You know what I mean? It sounds like something that would have been on melancholy with his ratty voice on it instead of hers. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Courtney had Kirk killed and we'll just leave it at that. Now wow. I'll move to, directly into my hot take, which is the one song. If I never hear it again for the rest of my entire life, I'm good. Can I take a and guess? There's one exception to it. I'll, I'll give you that hint. There is one exception to the use of this song that I will tolerate it. And I will, I will say, go for it. What is your guess? I'm going to say either Inside Out by Eve Six or uh, Flagpole Setta by Harvey Danger. We play both of those. And uh, Eve Six is very memeable lately because there's like a screen capture of the singer of Inside Out, uh, Eve Six, uh, like asking like random inappropriately young girls, are you, you like that Heart in a Blender song? Uh, it, it's it's a part of meme culture. Go find it on the internet. I don't feel like talking about it. Um, but I got just, it wrong it, is what it, you're it, saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I agree also on, uh, well, Flying Pulse isn't super offensive. I just kind of put that in the Chumbawamba category okay. where like if I heard it once a month, I'd be okay. I don't want to hear it every day. But the, the most offensive, overplayed, pedantic, middle of the road, white people, James Taylor thing <laughs> that I never want to hear again is Closing Time by semi Oh. <laughs> okay, okay, there's, there's a couple of known. reasons. Wait, we- there's a couple of we play we play it way too frequently in my opinion uh but you've also got to remember that this is like right at the first third of me running venues and every bar owner i ever worked for thought they were super clever because like (laughs) hey it's last call put closing time on (laughs) and it like when you do that that four or five point of the song though that was the whole point when you but it doesn't make people leave the bar is the problem. It makes them stay and sing it and then go, can I just get one more drink? Uh, where instead my, my, uh, whole modus operandi with clearing a bar was to put something so horrible and unlistenable on that people would leave. They would leave the drink they just paid for on the bar because I have Yoko Ono's solo record playing <laughs> over the PA on like eight. You know what I mean? It's I was just, just going like, to ask for an example. Because <laughs> it's only one. the alcoholics that are sticking around through that last drink for that. You know what <laughs> I mean? Um, now, here's the thing. And, and the other part of that is that the, the one exception is the Office episode where Stanley sings the last line of the song on his way <laughs> out of the office. <laughs> I just watched that one the other day. That is a good one. I mean, I think that's the only time you ever see Stanley really happy, except for the pretzel, uh, pretzel Day episode. Pretzel Day, that one, and 
there was one where there was cake phyllis and cake where he was like smiling and giddy but that was about it so yeah those, those are uh the reasons i detest that song in 2021 and why there's only one exception to it but here's what i'll say because i don't want anybody to think that i'm just crapping all over semi-sonic because there was a song on this album which was called feeling strangely fine that is firmly firmly in my top 10 1990 songs of all time called singing in my sleep it's wow. anthemic and catchy and again we talked about this last week with lovely the band you can't get a second single started if the first one never goes away or crosses over to another format it reinvigorates it takes people's attention away from the new one and that's what happened with singing in my sleep and it's a shame because i think it is one of the absolute most overlooked songs in alternative music of all time and here's here's a fun story uh i remember watching an interview with jim adkins uh the singer songwriter of jimmy eat world uh who next year we'll talk about their album clarity uh in an interview talked about hearing that song and being inspired by it for another track that appeared on the record that we'll talk no about kidding. next year yeah so if it hadn't been for the one hit wonder semisonic there would not have been jimmy eat world no there would have been jimmy eat world but i don't know that we would have gotten songs like the middle or sweetness specifically sweetless because okay. right. if, if you go and listen to singing in my sleep and then listen to sweetness right after you'll hear how one influenced the other really okay yeah and i i admit and i don't think i'm alone in this actually for the first time in this podcast i don't think anyone has listened to that album before they just know that one song from semi-sonic here's the thing i mean they they are uh, an immense force in australia ireland new zealand and the uk mm. uh and we're touring like on the regular like is is recently as like 2017 it might have been 2016. Damn. um so yeah i mean they still have a, a good foothold on that side of the pond wow that's really cool well i need to mention something because uh you had a good springboard a minute ago into this next song uh that uh, i was not expecting this song to play as i'm listening through 1998 and that was the song called Lullaby by Sean Mullins. Yeah. This was the song, if you are a fan of The Office, season six, episode 10, the episode murder. There's been a murder. That part where Michael is in his office because he just got word that Dunder Mifflin was probably going bankrupt and he's in his office and you can hear him playing really loudly on his speakers. Everything is gonna be all right. Yeah. And there's, as soon as I heard that song, it instantly brought me to that, and it just made me smile. Yeah, and there's another there's another example of them doing that exact same gag when he broke up with one of the the girlfriends. And he was he was playing a sample of something, and Jim said something, and then his response was, well, I, I, "I just I just need a, a sample of it." Oh yeah, I remember that. That was when he uh, that was when Carol broke up with him, his actual yes. real wife, his Steve yep. Carell's wife in real life. Yeah, there you go. Oh man, yeah. So I, I was surprised to see that one on the list. So yeah. Well, one uh, one that we're going to talk about next is actually very relevant. Uh, within the last few weeks, and that's the new Radicals, 
with a song off their album, Maybe You've Been Brainwashed 2, called You Get What You Give, a band that hadn't played together in 17 years and got back together to play Joe Biden's inauguration. That's right. Yeah, that was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Funny thing is, so I had no idea who they were until I went to college. Uh, My first job in radio, well, I I don't want to say my first job in radio, but when I was a part of the radio station in college, I had somebody come up to me and request that song. And I'm like, oh, what's that song? I remember queuing it up, getting ready to play it at an event I was at. And uh, sure enough, I instantly loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's catchy. It really is. I mean, a lot of people thought at the time that it was one of the other bands of the time. People have have called it Third Eye Blind. People have said uh, that they thought it was back. People have said that they thought it was other bands that had one-hit wonders around that time as well, like Len or Citizen King. Um, The record wasn't great. If we're if we're completely being honest, it was it, it was a bit on the cheesy side. Like I, I don't I mean, it was just a little bit obvious. I mean, it was almost sort of like this. You ever see the movie Multiplicity with Michael Keaton where he clones no. himself? There's a line in that movie that I apply quite a bit to the music industry, which is a copy of a copy is never quite as clear as the original. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, and I think all these guys were trying to do was encapsulate the late 90s into a sound without having a distinct point of view. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Taking nothing away from their success because they do have brilliance on this album. But again, the thing I'll point out is that it was co-written by a non-band member, Rick Nowles. Oh, okay. And it's fun. You, you mentioned that. And it, when I hear that song, I definitely think of the nineties. Like I, like that yeah. sounds like a nineties song. Well, it was in all the movies. It was in like American pie two or three. It was in, uh, a, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the other, like, like not another teen movie. Like it was on yeah. all the soundtracks. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, it is what it is. Congratulations to you, Greg Alexander. You're a one hit one. <laughs> so sad. Uh, you yeah. did mention Beck, though. Uh, the song Deadweight was a big song in 1998. And we talked about this last time where I asked you the question, who the hell is Beck? Like, really? Yeah. Who is he? Um, and I've been trying to expand my horizons a little bit more because he's he's got a ton of Grammys under his belt and he's a force to be reckoned with. And I actually really like that song Deadweight. It was a little weird at first, but yeah. uh, I, I got into it. Yeah, it, it's it's uncomfortable, man. It's uh, Beck is one of those things where, like, he, at least in my opinion or my experience with him, has a tendency with some songs to try and put you off of it within the first thirty seconds. But if you can gut it out, the the main frame of the song is dope. Yeah, yeah. No, the I flaming agree. lips do that. The flaming lips do that in a lot of ways too, and I'm sure we'll talk about them in the coming years as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Beck had a big hit. I mean, if we're going to go back and talk about bands we've talked about before uh, on the podcast, got to mention Soul Coughing, who had mm-hmm. a real, real success with the single Circles, which was off their uh, follow-up uh, to the uh, the record that you had for a homework assignment, the new record mm-hmm. called El Oso. Uh, Cake followed up Fashion Nugget 
with a fantastic album called Prolonging the Magic and had a big, big hit uh, with I Will Survive, which was the B-side of the original single, Never There. So it's pretty rare, especially during this time frame, that the B-side of a single also becomes a hit. This was a great example of that in two bands that for some reason are very closely tied together um, as far as critics and the media go. For some reason, those two bands seem to be brother bands. And I think it's just because they both defy uh, classification. And we'll jump in and, and we'll talk about the fact that rap rock is, is on the way within the next couple of years. Woodstock 99, Limp Biscuit, man, like, that was, I think, where society took a huge downward spiral was right around this time. And I, I blame uh, I blame Rap Rock for a lot of it, man. Uh, not so much these two bands that I want to talk about, but unfortunately their influence did inspire a generation of knuckle draggers to make a bunch of dumb music. Um, <laughs> sorry. Hey, uh, just, we're going to talk I, about I Lincoln Park it, soon. We're going to be talking about yeah. Lincoln Park when we get into yeah. the 2000s. Begrudgingly, and- begrudgingly. Well, hey, they were my favorite band as a kid, okay? But we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Another band that we've talked about endlessly since 1984, who had another big hit in 1998, were the Mighty Beastie Boys. They released an album called Hello Nasty, which spawned the single Intergalactic, uh, a secondary single called Body Moving. And if we're staying in that sort of rap rock world, you got to mention 311, a little band out of Omaha, Nebraska, who released their third album entitled Transistor, and had a huge hit with a song called Beautiful Disaster, uh, which you may remember as being a, uh, a big part of the, the soundtrack to uh, not only MLB 11, the show, but Guitar World, or yeah, sorry, Guitar Hero World Tour, Rock Band 3. And it was also featured very prominently in uh, season three of Orange is the New Black. Oh, I fell off on that show. After like, I never, seasons. I never really watched it. To be perfectly honest, first season was good. I, by like season four, I just, I just, I lost track completely. But what do you say we get into uh, my homework assignment for this week for an album I've never heard before in Alternative One Hundred and One? Dixon schools Jack on an album he's never heard before. It's Alternative One Hundred and One on the Roots of Alternative podcast. Okay, so this week in Alternative One Hundred and One. Uh, this, this one. Okay. So this one actually did come out in 1997. However, it spawned a huge hit in 1998 and the band we're talking about is Ben folds five. The album is whatever and ever. Amen. And Dixon, I have to say right off the bat, I adore this album. I'm glad, dude. I, I kind of figured you would. And in our defense, this is what I'm going to say. Yes, the record came out in 1997, and it went over like a turd in a punch bowl, man. It, the world was not ready for Ben Folds. And it wasn't until 1998 when radio firmly grabbed a hold of uh, Battle of Who Could Care Less and then followed it up with Brick. The album really took off. So while it may have been released in 1997, it did not do jack squat no offense to your name jack <laughs> That's in okay. 1997 in my mind this will always be a 1998 album yeah totally and, and that that makes a lot of sense now i of course i i think i'm probably not alone in saying that uh their big hit brick um i, I never paid attention to the words before and i didn't realize how sad a song it was even though it played on the radio constantly um yeah. 
And that was definitely one that I remember listening to. But as an adult listening to this album for the first time and really listening to the little different, song, right? It's a little different. Yeah. You missed the reference to the abortion when you're nine. I did. I yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. No clue. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the, the the saddest, most heartfelt anthems of this entire generation. I think it has an excellent point of view, uh, but I don't want to focus on the big single because I think this is a small part of the mm -hmm. album. Uh, the 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 fun fact that I do want to put out there about Ben Folds Five is that there's three of them. Yeah, that's right. I didn't know that there was a band because I, I had always heard yeah. of Ben Folds, but I didn't know he was in a band and I had never heard of Ben Folds five before. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, man. And, and you know, I've said this about a few different acts over the course of these 18 weeks that we've put forth so far, but God damn it. There is nothing like seeing Ben Folds five live, the original three guys, Ben, Darren, and Bob. It is, magical like the this the sonic space that the three of them can take up in the right room like the egg which is oh my god i can't even describe the experience uh i got to see them in the round wait what's the egg yeah. uh it, it's a uh, western new york venue oh uh, it okay. was just outside of buffalo it, it closed mid 2010s 2013 2014 oh. somewhere in there um, but like one of the, one of the most amazing things for me was, was watching, uh, Ben folds five on the tour that followed up the next record, which we'll talk about next year as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't know that I've ever been so impressed mm -hmm. before. You know what I mean? Like mute math did it to me. Uh, when, you know, all six of them played every instrument on the stage, each one of them cycled through during a song. So there's moments like that, but this was just that thing where like, I loved the band. I loved this record. I loved army, which is the single that's coming in next week's discussion, but I didn't, it didn't click the way it clicked standing in that room with them, watching them do it live. And that was the moment I just fell in love with it. And it made me love this record even more because it was the thing that brought me to Ben Folds five. Yeah. And here's the question I'm going to ask you because I mentioned this to you, not on the podcast, but right after we recorded it, when I gave you this homework assignment, I said, Hey, listen, this is going to be along the lines of that record. You didn't like from the Afghan wigs called gentlemen back in the early nineties. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I kind of left it at that with no context. Did you figure out what that concept between the two are? I'll be honest with you. No, they're breakup albums. This were the, they were both albums written by two completely different dudes with two completely different points of view after the breakup. Okay. You know, where, where Greg Dooley was, was, was angry and some of that anger was sent inward. And some of it obviously was, was heaped upon that poor young lady. Um, this is him going through, the 12 steps. Now, again, this is wow. me sort of being like the conspiracy theorist, but there's 12 songs, there's 12 steps. It's, it's all sort of this thing. And I think the thing that I love most about Ben is, is how incredibly adept he is at telling a story while not obviously telling you a story. And I'm not trying to like, 
you know, make fun of them. But like, there, there's too many like Carpenters, Simon and Garfunkel, folky story time bands that they, they kind of there's too many bands and, and they do it in this very obvious way where it almost sounds like children's music. It, it, I don't like it. I love Ben Folds because he can craft a song and still tell you that story and the flourishes and the touches through the songs. So he he's basically with the words drawing the picture and with the music coloring it in. That's a really great way to describe it. I definitely felt that as I listened to it too. Um, and you had said something in the, the when we teased uh, this album, you told me about it last time. Um, you had talked about how it's very uh, piano rock-ish. Very uh, much so. And I never realized how much I like that kind of music until listening to it. There's a band in Buffalo that I started listening to about 10 years ago. They're, they're, they've made a couple of albums. Um, they've uh, just celebrated the 10-year anniversary of one of their albums. Um, and they have a lot of elements of the type of sound that I listen to. And I think that's the reason why I really like it, it clicked with me, like you said. And I think if I saw them live, it would make an even bigger difference. First thing that came to mind too, when you're talking about seeing them live was uh, in listening to their music was the time I went to a uh, dueling piano bar in San Diego. And like, I don't know, for some reason, it just made me think of that. But I really, well, really... Think about all the legendary artists that, that I've brought up that, that predate what we started here. And then some of the ones that have. And, you know, I kind of pieced it together as we did it as well. But like, uh, you know, the, the only real white artist that I gravitated towards in my youth was Elton John. And, you know, all these years later, it makes sense. It's the piano, you know, because I went from Stevie to Elton. You know, Stevie Wonder is my first love. You know, all that old Motown stuff, Smokey Robinson, a lot of that is piano oriented. So as, you know, that foundation was laid for me and it's again, like, and again, this might be blasphemous to some people. I only really like Springsteen with the E Street Band because it has mm -hmm. piano and sax and these elements like Nebraska is an unlistenable turd of a record in my opinion. <laughs> I'm passionate, man. Like, hey, it's I, okay. I just, I, I I want certain experiences from music. You know what I mean? Like I need there to be depth and art in, in these things that, that captivate me. Like I, I hate this middle of the road, like, like boring suburban music. You know what I mean? I get you. Like, yeah, it, I get you. So like, I get excited, like thinking back to this record in songs like smoke uh, in, in, you know, like one angry dwarf and 200 solemn faces mm. like for this time period, is there a better side one track one? Like that thing just mm. sets the tone for this record. Totally. And, and as a matter of fact, that was uh, my second favorite on the album. There were two songs actually that really stood out to me and I'll say, and I'll say this too. I thought the entire record was great. There was not a song on the album. I didn't like, but my two favorites were uh, one angry dwarf and 200 solemn faces, the first song on the album, but my favorite was Kate. And I think you're not that, alone in this. Oh, really? You're not alone in this because Kate had a life of its own at college radio, which was sort of in its dying days. Uh, I don't remember the call letters and I'm too lazy to look them up, but everybody knows about the Seton Hall radio station uh, from okay. Seton Hall College. 
Uh, it was sort of in this time period, it was forming what we know as alternative now in, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways because they weren't playing the, the Limp Biscuits in Lincoln Parks. They kept it truly alternative and didn't mm-hmm. do a lot of the rock bleed and didn't do the rap bleed and, and kept it so that bands like Vampire Weekend uh, and Block Party and whatnot had a chance to get a foot grip when they ascended. Hmm. Um, so like Kate was released on a CMJ compilation, which is the college music journal. It was a magazine you could buy on a newsstand every month. It came with a free CD that had anywhere between like 18 and 24 songs on it. It was in a little paper sleeve. You would tear it out of the magazine and there you go. You paid six bucks for the magazine, but it came with this record. It had like all these songs on it. It was the greatest thing ever. And there was a subculture for that, myself included. And Kate was the song. Hmm on that CD. And then that became the song. If you're a Ben folds five fan and you're my age or a little younger, that's, that's your jam. That's the one. Um, and I I think a lot of that is attributed to CMJ and the play that that song got on college radio. Um, and when, when brick was that it's absolute peak. So was Kate at college radio. So this dude had like this two-headed monster happening at the same time. It was cool. Yeah. Uh, I also do want to mention that there is um, a remastered version of this album that is out. Um, and it obviously in, in this day and age, there's physical copies of it. There is a vinyl that exists. It's very rare. Um, and it's on all the digital platforms. But there is uh, a version that has seven more songs. Uh, a couple of originals, which like Mitchell Lane is a staple of the Ben Folds live show. Uh, a, a cool little number called theme from Dr. Pfizer, a <laughs> song called air, which uh, actually there's a live version of air on a later CMJ compilation. Uh, there's a live version of song for the dumped uh, from Japan. They do two covers video killed the radio star by the buggles. Mm-hmm. And she don't use jelly by their very good friends, the flaming lips. Yeah. The, their cover of uh, uh, video kill the radio star was pretty good. I did like that one. I, I was able to get a hold of the um, uh, that bonus version. Uh, I figured you would. And the streaming platforms. So it was good. So yeah, uh, yeah. all in all, uh, I honestly, I think this is out of all the albums that you've had me listen to in, in Alternative 101, this is my favorite so far. Um, Absolutely, man. I, I, I knew you would love it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had discussed the fact that your wife was already a fan. Um, she listened to it with so me, me and she sang almost every single song. Like she, she's been a huge Ben Folds fan. She loved it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, she had already heard the, it before, but <laughs> yeah. The, if you go to a Ben Folds show, it is 70% women. And then like 25% dudes in khaki pants in those hats that dudes that like craft beer wear. <laughs> I, I always call them taxi cab driver hats. Yeah, yeah. And then the other 5% of the crowd are like random dudes like me that are there, you know, probably under the influence of something, just ready to have their minds blown by the majesty of what's about to happen. It's a very, it's a very female and weird dude oriented crowd. But next time, next time they play a show, you and I are going. I'm down. Get them to reunite, man. I would love that. Cool. Well, that was a lot of fun listening to that album. Ben Folds 5, whatever and ever. Amen. Um, now, I want to jump into something quick that's Syracuse related since Jack and I are here in the mm-hmm. Syracuse area. 95X is a Syracuse radio station. 
Big song from 1998 that has a back history that does include Syracuse. Um, that song is Got You Where I Want You by a band called The Flies off their 1998 album entitled Holiday Man. Now you ask, how does this L.A. band have any ties to Syracuse, New York? Yeah, please well, I'll tell give me. You, I'll, I'll give you two. The record was produced by Chris Goss of Masters of Reality, which in my opinion is one of the most important bands to ever come out of Central New York. Uh, legendary Sammy's Hall of Fame band. If you don't know them, go check them out. Hmm. Uh, any band that Ginger Baker is willing to play in is a band that you should go and listen to. Masters oh. of Reality, Sunrise on the Suffer Bus, go do it. Now, that being said, that's not enough of a Syracuse connection. Chris's uh, engineer, the dude that actually ran the board, was my buddy Steve Feldman, who owned a studio called Penguin Studios in East Syracuse, which was kind of across the street from ESM High School, that recorded all of the bands of dudes my age when we were active, like Bone China, in Dracula Jones, in Spam Hammer, and all of these things. So like, it was cool for me knowing that these two Syracuse dudes had their fingers in something that was making waves nationwide, even if technically... The Flies have nothing to do with Syracuse. The men that made that song, Syracuse through and through. Wow. That's great. I love hearing, the, I love hearing these uh, local connections here um, because, you know, I, w- I would love to know how many people made it big from small towns like Syracuse, you know? Um, and it's just cool when you actually hear those connections. Post Malone's from Syracuse. He ain't oh, so small true. as he... But, eh, but he doesn't consider Syracuse his home. He was a baby when he lived here. He, he left here when Texas. he was nine. He left here when he was nine. Oh, He's when he was ours. nine? It was nine? Uh, I mean, do you remember? I'm claiming really? him. Do you I'm remember when him. you were nine? I do. Well, I was an asshole. <laughs> Actually, I was too. If you yeah. can believe that, I was a terrible kid. Just ask anyone in my family. Ask my wife, too. She knows. Well, 1998 would not be complete if we didn't talk about a song. I think deep down inside, for some reason, I have a feeling you love. Oh, okay. Okay. And it, it it's one of the songs on this list that I didn't necessarily, like, part of me was like, eh, do we talk about it? Because it became such, like, a pop thing. Uh, but it, it did start at Alternative Radio. I went back and listened to it uh, a couple of days ago and remembered why I liked it as much as I did. And it's The Way by Fastball. I, I had to go back and listen just now. Uh, and uh, yes, I do remember that song. The chorus, I honestly, I don't remember where I heard that song. I think it was, was it in a commercial? It's been in a lot of commercials. That it's, must have been a couple of car it. commercials. It's uh a huge, huge track. It was on Friends. I know you're a big Friends fan. Actually, no. Uh, I, I have know, not. I'm just busting your balls. Oh, okay. Uh, but here, here's a little known fact about this song. And it didn't come out until probably a decade after. But at the beginning of that song, uh, you hear the radio scanning. And they, yeah. they kept it in. The three songs uh, that you hear sort of jumbled through uh, all of that that uh, dissonant noise are Jules Foolish Games. <laughs> what? Roy Orbison's You Got It, one of my favorite songs of all time. Wow. And Madonna's Vogue. 
No. All right. Now let me ask you this. Did he have to pay royalties to those artists? No, because they're short enough and they don't repeat. It's not a part of the actual song. Oh, that, oh wow. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't even pay attention to that at the beginning. I'll just go back and listen to it again. But yeah, I, okay. I, I, I did not know who these guys were. I mean, were they a one hit wonder? No, they did have a couple of more songs over the years. And the reason I bring them up is because them in another band that uh, we'll talk about uh, next year, The Refreshments, uh, with a single called Banditos. These oh. two bands, if you go back and listen to them, and then right after you listen to them, go listen to The Black Keys. Oh, really? And man, maybe it's me. But I genuinely think that whether he knows it or not, Dan Auerbach was inspired by Fastball and the Refreshments in some way, whether conscious huh. or subconscious. Now, some other songs from this year that did great uh, include Sugar Ray, Jack's favorite unknown band of the late 90s <laughs> with Every Morning, uh, Lenny Kravitz with Fly Away, Everclear had a couple of hits with I Will Buy You a New Life uh, and Father of Mine. Um, in addition to that, they had everything to everyone. They went three singles deep. I don't love them, but the offspring had a big year and kicked off their run of doing semi-comical songs with pretty fly for a white guy. Yeah. Uh, Eagle Eye Cherry was, uh, out there with save tonight. I love that. Uh, song. A fun little song that, you know, if you mentioned Sean Mullins, you've kind of got to mention Eagle Eye as well. Mm -hmm. Fat Boy Slim had another hit, uh, with praise you. Uh, the Verve followed up Bittersweet Symphony with Lucky Man. Pearl Jam uh, once again comes through with a single called Wishlist, which didn't do all that great. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that they were considered alternative at the time, but in hindsight, yes, uh, Orgy delivered a fantastic cover of Blue Monday in 1998. And I will, I will finish up my 1998 by mentioning a Canadian band that does very, very well in upstate New York oh. and Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And man, conspiracy theories seem to be what? Uh, my bag this week, but the Bare Naked Ladies in one week. What conspiracy revolves around the Bare Naked Ladies? Well, or is this your conspiracy or is it like, no, this, this is, this is something I actually found online. Um, so, it started on Reddit. Oh, everything right. starts on Reddit. But there's been some work done into it and people are, are paying attention. So let's go through it a little bit. Okay. So uh, the, the first, the first little block is it's been one week since you looked at me, caught your head to the side and said, I'm angry five days since you laughed at me saying, get that together, come back and see me. Nothing too crazy yet. I mean, the opening lines are telling the story of a couple fighting. They split up, and the girlfriend tells the boyfriend to come back once he gets his 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 life together, right? Okay, so, yeah. yeah. Three days since the living room, I realized it's all my fault but couldn't tell you. Well, two days after he leaves, he comes back, right? And then there's an incident that he's afraid to directly address that happens in the living room, and he feels a tremendous amount of guilt and a sense of isolation because of what happened. Now, bear with me, because three days ago in a fit of rage, I'm pretty sure he beat his girlfriend to death. You get to the next couple of lines and it's yesterday you'd forgiven me, but I'll still be two days till I'm say, till I say I'm sorry. Days after the incident, still locked in the apartment with her dead body. He hasn't had anything to eat or drink. 
Uh, he imagined her saying that everything would be fine and then fighting in the breakup weren't his fault. The rap verses are the first person stream of consciousness of a man on the edge of madness and breaking down who's slowly starving and obsessing about food, but who's unable to eat because of his overwhelming guilt from killing his girlfriend. Right? So then you get into the lyrics, the, the next part of the lyrics, which is I'm the kind of guy who laughs at a funeral can't understand what I mean. Well, you soon will. I have a tendency to wear my mind on my sleeve. I have a history of taking off my shirt. These lines sort of reveal the entire plot. Can't understand what I mean. Well, you soon will. It's one of the most sinister lines in the history of pop music. He's sort of referring to her funeral as imminent. And then hold on to that line about the shirt. We'll, we'll get to that. Because the next part of the song is, it's been one week since you looked at me threw your arms in the air and said, you're crazy. Five days since you tackled me, I've still got the rug burns on both my knees. The man keeps, he's playing it over and over again in his head. He's beginning to panic, thinking of all the ways he could claim he killed her out of self-defense. Back to the song now. It's been three days since the afternoon. You realized it's not my fault, not a moment too soon. Yesterday you'd forgiven me, and now I sit back and wait till you say you're sorry. The dude's bargaining with a dead body now, and it's actually just him crazy over the whole like starvation and, and breaking down and, and being completely and totally manic. And then you get another weird, you know, self-conscious or, you know, uh, stream of consciousness rap verse as he slowly goes even madder and madder, except for one very distinct moment of clarity. Going to okay. get a set of better clubs gonna find the kind with tiny nubs just so my irons aren't always flying off the backswing this is where he reveals the murder weapon he beat his girlfriend to death with a golf club now back to i have a tendency to wear my mind on my sleeve i have a history of losing my shirt he continues the cover-up of this murder and he's worried about the stain on the shirt that he killed her in, and he knows he needs to sort of lose it before the police show up all right so it's been one week since you looked at me, dropped your arms to your side and said, I'm sorry. Five days since I laughed at you and said, you did, you just did just what I thought you were going to do. Three days since the living room, we realized we're both to blame, but what could we do? Yesterday you smiled at me because it'll still be two days till we say we're sorry. He's come to realize at this point that perhaps they both had a valid reason for the argument and that they're both to blame for the relationship falling apart. And then at the end, he finally comes to terms with what he's done. He admits the crime to himself and he accepts the idea that he will be caught and prosecuted for the crime, which the song is about, which is this nameless man beating his poor girlfriend to death with a golf club. It makes sense to me, bro. Wow. <laughs> um, all right. So, You're welcome. So wait a minute. So is that the conspiracy that you just said, or did you just break down every verse? That, of that, that is that is essentially the gist of the Reddit thread. the The best parts that make the most sense all sort of weaved together. Uh, the dude that did it, I want to give him credit because this is really him. It's uh, username Euclid Ucro. 
uh, E-U-C-H-R-I-D underscore E-U-C-R-O-W. The dude, like, I give him a lot of credit, man. If, if he's not like a Hollywood screenwriter, he should be. Um. Well, <clears throat> but it I'll, makes sense. I, 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 yeah, I agree that makes sense. I admit I'm a little speechless because I never knew how violent and graphic that song is. All I hear is an upbeat pop song. Chickeny China, the Chinese chicken. You eat a drumstick and your brain starts thinking. What the hell? He's starving. Man. All he can think about is the Chinese chicken, bro. Oh my gosh. I I will never listen to that song the same ever again. I and I thought you were gonna say something like, like he did this. So, no. so I'm glad that's not the case. Wow. Um I think that's a good place to end for today. Well, no, there, there's one more little tidbit that, that has come out. So here we go. So the last words of the song are Birchmount Stadium, home of the Robbie. It's that last little, in the theory has become, is that stadium is right next to a police station. And that's the last thing he saw before he went away for his crime. And that's why it was included in the song. Now, now we are officially done with 1998 drop your mic dixon just just drop it and go home and relax right i think, I, I think I, we, i'm honestly I think we did some great work i, think I don't know great work this week i don't know what else to say there there were two more songs that i wanted to mention but i don't even know if it's worth mentioning now <laughs> throw them in man let's hear it i mean how am i supposed to follow up from that seriously <laughs> all right i'll mention it anyway because we are out of time, but I was just going to mention that I, I have to mention you uh, 2 because they had their hit song, uh, Sweetest Thing, which uh, was actually originally a B-side off of where the Streets Had No Name uh, single in 87. In, uh, it was on the best of 1980 to 1990. That came out in 98. And we saw the return of Depeche Mode. I'm done. <laughs> well, there you go, my friend. There you go. 1998. Man. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Next week, man, <coughs> we are ending it out. We're ending the 90s with 1999. Yeah, I mean, just looking at it now, there is, and this is, and I'll tell you right now, this is where alternative starts to lose its alternativeness and become and morph into modern rock. It'll be a good one. So uh, as always, 95x.com slash roots of alternative. Check there uh, for some bonus content. We may have to put up that uh, Bare Naked Ladies thing. Oh, uh, we got to give you an alternative 101 homework. Oh, that's assignment. true. That's true. All right. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to, I'm going to go a little off road with this one, fella. This is a personal favorite. It's a song that had a lot of success here in the central New York region and throughout New England. And there's still a band that's very viable in some countries in Europe and Japan. They're personal friends of mine. I think this will give us an opportunity to get into the music industry side of things. I would like you to listen to the Sheila Devine's debut mm. full-length album, New Parade. Sounds good. Sheila Devine, we had them at uh, 95X Miss Pajama Jam a few years ago. We did, the very first one. Uh, they played alongside Bishop Briggs and Barnes Courtney. All right, can't wait to check it out. Sheila Devine for next week and 1999. 95x.com slash Roots of Alternative. All of our bonus content, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Give us a subscribe, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time on the Roots of Alternative podcast for 95x.